0: morning we're gonna be reading this morning from the book of Genesis chapter 50 verses 15 through 21 when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead they said what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him so they sent word to Joseph saying Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together. Father, we pray this morning um, that we will be free of distraction, that we will be um, able to set aside worries and concerns and be able to hear what um, you have prepared for Nathan to speak to us about. I pray specifically for a spirit of peace over this place today, Lord, Um, that we would be known as a people of peace. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. (laughs)
1: Alright, what's up, City Lines Church? Welcome home. So glad you guys are here with us today. Hey, before we jump in, will you g- welcome help me in welcoming those that are watching on Facebook right now? What's up, Facebook? What's up to our online brothers and sisters? Uh, I'm so excited that you guys are here with us today because we're actually wrapping up a series of the kicked off, it's part of our fall kickoff series called Welcome Home where we really just kind of took some time just to say welcome home. We've had many folks who have not been back in person for worship since the pandemic started, so we just want to say welcome home. We've had lots of folks who are new who are saying, hey, I want to make City Lines Church our spiritual home, so we just say welcome home to you, as well as our college students that have been... Uh, you know they've been away now they're back welcome home guys we're so glad you're with us today as uh you know we're wrapping up this series and then just to give you guys a heads up next week's pretty exciting because we'll actually be doing our child dedications uh we have not dedicated children since uh 2019 so we'll be dedicating lots of kids and lots of infants and so it's going to be a really exciting time i want to encourage you to come out for that but let me give you a quick review of kind of where we've been and kind of where we're going to end up today. We kind of kicked off our series talking about the heart of the house. We talked about the story of the lost sons and how God's heart is for those who are far from Him. He wants to bring them close to Himself. He wants to bring them home. In fact he invites those of us who are part of his family to be on mission with Jesus. In fact, that's what we talked about the week after. What does it mean to be on mission with Jesus? And then we looked at last week about the idea of partnership. So many churches, they do membership. It's this idea of, hey, you're going to become a member. We're kind of changing our language to talk about the idea of partnership because we feel like that more accurately represents what we want to do as a church. In the idea of partnership it's hey, we're all coming together for a common Cause or a common purpose, working together. In fact, if you want to know more about how you can become a partner here at City Lines Church, on October twelfth, it's a Tuesday night. We actually have a special info meeting uh, where you can have an opportunity to actually learn more about the church, ask your questions, and if you're ready to hey, I want to become a partner, I want to jump in, uh, we would love to have you uh, be a part of that experience. It's going to be Tuesday, October 12th. It's going to be in person or on Zoom. So if you're away, uh, but you still want to be a part of it, you can still do that. But it's our way of saying here as a church, we want to commit to you in this way. And then here's what we're asking of you as believers, how you can kind of join us in our mission to transform Williamsport with the gospel. So here's kind of how I want to wrap up our series uh, this week is I want to talk about one of our values, which is transformation. Now, we love the idea of transformation. We love transformation stories. But one of the things that we don't really talk about is transformation actually takes a lot of work. It actually means that we have to do some internal work. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is doing a deep work inside of us. But there's a place where we need to respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing today. And so I feel like one of the most powerful experiences of transformation that I've seen in my life is the gospel. Uh, Jesus transforms us from the inside out uh, when we become followers of him, and obviously we've given many of you guys the opportunity to do that, so we've had some new believers, and so it's pretty exciting to think about that. But really this kind of comes out of 2 Corinthians, where it says this, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and let's all say this together in bold, the new is here. And so that's one of the things that we celebrate that Jesus literally transforms us, he makes us new people. But if you've grown up in the church, or you've been around religious people for a long time, do you ever wonder, you know, we have this idea of, hey, we're brand new, We're, we're new creations, the old is gone, the new has come, we're being transformed to look more like Jesus. But have you ever met followers of Jesus? Maybe they've been followers for a long time, but it doesn't seem like there's that sense of joy from that transformation. Maybe they're actually more bitter they're kind of acid, they're kind of judgmental, and you kind of have a hard time going, how have they been, you know, transformed by, by Jesus? They seem more cynical than, than the folks who are, who are not Christians. I remember, as a new believer, being confronted with that and being really confused— um, so when I was in college, uh, I, I, a real, I was a, a new believer about, you know, I was a Christian for about four years. And so I was really excited about my faith. I was at a Christian college. I wanted to grow deeper and, and go into ministry. And while I was there, I, I joined this, uh, this mission trip. We were going into New York City. And so we were going in, and the leader was this guy. His name was Ryan. And, you know, Ryan had, you know, new scripture, uh, was a great teacher, really effective leader. But there was something a little off about him. And it just seemed like he was always, always in a bad mood. He was always kind of angry. It always seemed he was kind of bitter. And so I remember, you know, we were doing this ministry serving inner city kids. And he's snapping at the kids. He's snapping at us on the team. And it just seemed like he was always angry. Always like, you know, really bitter, really acid in his language. Uh, And then one day, one of our teammates accidentally broke his arm. And then Ryan just goes off on this guy. He just flips out on him. He just yells at him. He goes, I can't believe you're such an idiot. Now I've got to go to the ER, and this is such a waste of time. He's literally just going off on this kid, and all of these words that are coming out of his mouth. I'm going, I don't think Christians should talk like that. And I was just really shocked, and I just didn't understand. Here's a guy who's a believer, who knows scripture. He's been a believer longer than I am, but yet He's got this really just, there's bitterness, there's anger, there's rage, there's malice. It didn't compute. And then, you know, recently I've been able to articulate that. You see, for many believers, I think, when we first become Christians, depending on your tradition, we're taught, hey, if we learn Scripture, if we do these certain things, we'll grow in our faith. But sometimes those things end up being surface deep. They don't go to the deep depths of us. Because we've, we've, we've said that spiritual maturity is something different than maturity overall. And so this is kind of the idea I want us to leave us with is this, is that you can't be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Let me say that again. You can't be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So even though Ryan looked, hell, he looked really spiritually mature. But beneath the surface, in his heart, there were some deeper, deeper things that the gospel had not yet been applied to in the depths of his being. And so how do we go from, hey, we're being transformed not just on, a, on one level, but actually transformed deeply from a heart level. And so that's what I want to talk about today. By the way, this idea is not original with me. It comes from a pastor out in Queens, New York. His name is Pete Scazzaro. Pete and his wife, Jerry, planted a church in, New York, in Queens called New Life Fellowship. It's a fantastic church. And my wife and I were from New Jersey when we were, you know, we both starting as youth pastors. We'd sometimes go in and visit that church and kind of sit under Pete and Jerry's teachings. But one of the things that Pete said was, you know, when I planted this church, you know, we would have Christians who'd be Christians for 30 years, but yet they, they were still not seeing real change. They were still struggling with the same stuff. They, the transformation was skin deep. And these were folks that were Christians for 30 years, but it seemed like, you know, they were just repeating the same year 30 times rather than experiencing deep uh, growth and and breakthrough. And so, you know, he wrote an incredible book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I know many of you have read it or you've gone through it in your small book, small groups. Uh, Jackie and I have actually gone through this a couple times over the years. And it's really, you know, every time we go through it, there's always something new that God shows us and there's always a deeper transformation that he takes us through because he brings up some concepts of how can we actually apply the gospel, not just intellectually, but emotionally, in literally the habits and patterns that we've kind of been living out. And I think one of the the ways that he kind of helps us understand transformation is we actually need to go back in order to go forward. We we actually need to see how the patterns that we've been handed actually impact our present. So today, we're going to look at one of the concepts in the book, and it's called Foo. Say Foo. Say, let's say it a little bit louder, folks. I know it's more early. Say Foo. Foo. All right, there we go. Foo, F-O-O. And, no, and so today I'm going to teach you how to be a Foo Fighter. And no, this isn't like the band, but Foo actually stands for family of origin. Family of origin. And so whether you realize it or not, your family of origin has shaped your present. They shape kind of the way you see the world, your values, uh, both in direct and also indirect ways. And there's positive ways they've done that, and there's also some not-so-positive ways that we've done that. But if you're feeling stuck in your spiritual walk with God, if you're feeling, man, why does it feel like I can't break through? Part of it might be, it's a foo issue, a family of origin issue. And this is actually something that we see in Scripture, where we see patterns of behavior that are handed down from generation to generation. And so we're going to investigate that in Genesis chapter 50. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis 50. And so one of the things that we're going to look at is we're actually going to land and talk about a guy named Joseph. Uh, But before we talk about Joseph, we've got to do a little bit of family history on Joseph. Joseph's story really starts with his great-granddaddy, Abraham, and then his grandfather, which is Isaac, and then his dad, Jacob. And what we actually see is in this family that God has chosen, this family is actually going to be the family that Jesus is going to come out of. So this family is chosen. God actually brought them up for a specific purpose. But in this family, as great as it is, there is actually some patterns of dysfunction. In fact, we see about four patterns that kind of work its way down from one generation to the next. Because what happens is one generation behaves in one way, and so the the generation underneath sees it, and it kind of, you know, it's more caught than taught, and then they kind of live it out that way. That's what we mean by generational sin. If you ever heard that concept of the Bible? Literally, it's habits and patterns that started with great-grandpa get kind of passed down to the next generation, the generation after that. Uh, so, you know, you can have Jesus in your heart, but grandpa in your bones. It, just in the way that you're kind of handling conflict, in the way you, you handle yourself. So let's look at some of the patterns of just kind of um, family issues that were kind of coming to Joseph before we get to him. The first pattern we see is that there's patterns of lying in each generation. For instance, Abraham was in a situation where he had to lie about his wife being his sister because he was afraid. Then you have Isaac, who literally, him and his wife had these patterns of deceptions. And then Jacob. His name literally means deception. Like that guy was all about lying and deception and the whole thing. And then you have Joseph, who is going to, we're going to talk a little bit about, or actually his brothers. His brothers also lied about, basically having him killed, and, and so literally you see four generations of deceit. Then you've got favoritism by at least one parent in each generation. Abraham had a favorite son, which was Ishmael. Isaac had a favorite son, which was Esau. Jacob had a favorite son, which was Joseph, and then Benjamin. So you see favoritism being passed down in each generation. Then you also see brothers experiencing cutoff from one another. So you you start off with Abraham having having cut off between his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And then you have Esau and Jacob just being cut off for years, not seeing each other. And the same thing with Joseph and his brothers. They were cut off. They didn't see anyone. So cut off is this idea where you basically cut things off from a family member. You don't see them. You don't talk to them for whatever reason it may be. And then also you see poor intimacy in the marriages in each and every generation. You have Abraham who had a child out of wedlock. You had Isaac, and who him and his wife Rebecca just were constantly at odds. And then Jacob, you know, he had two wives and two concubines. So I don't see anything happening good from that situation. But you see, all these patterns have kind of come down, and now we get to Joseph, who, when we first find Joseph, he's a seventeen-year-old kid. You know, he's seventeen. He, you know, when you're seventeen, you know all the answers, right? He's got it all together. He's got you know all these things going on. He's young. He's arrogant. He's naive. And so what happens is he ends up crossing his brothers, and, you know, there's a lot of this story that I'm going to kind of gloss over, but he he kind of gets on the wrong side of his brothers, and so what they end up doing is they they sell him into slavery. So if you have a sibling that you're having a hard time with— Maybe don't do that. that. That that's just gonna work out not in your favor. So they sell him into slavery, and things are bad. And then Joseph gets bought by this family called uh, this guy's name's Potiphar. He's a, he's a pretty important official in Pharaoh's household, and he's doing great there. He's actually the head servant among everybody, and things are going great until Potiphar's wife accuses him of uh, of rape, and so then he's like thrown into the dungeon, and he's in the dungeon, and now he's running the dungeon. Things are going well there. Uh, until basically things start to kind of fall apart. A- and so as this is going on, uh, you know, he-, he meets this guy who's the cupbearer to Pharaoh, and he thinks, oh, this is good, you know, because he has a dream. He interprets the dream. The cupbearer is like, Joseph, this is awesome. Thanks for interpreting my dream. And he ends up getting his job back with Pharaoh. Joseph goes, hey, listen, when you're with Pharaoh, can you tell him about me so I can get out of, out of prison? And he forgets about Joseph. Joseph's forgotten, abandoned for two years, left for dead, until Pharaoh's got some weird dreams. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, I got this weird dream about these cows, and the skinny ones are eating the fat ones, and and the the skinny corn's eating the fat corn. It's it's a weird, you know, I don't don't know what, you know, you know, it was the bad sushi from the night before. I don't know what it is. But the cupbearer's like, oh, I got a guy who can help you with your dream. And so Joseph comes, interprets the dream, and Pharaoh's like, bro, you can run all of Egypt. And so that's what happens. Joseph literally goes from zero to the hero, all within a matter of a couple years. And so as this is happening, there's a famine in the land, and so his brothers actually come back because they're looking for food. Joseph and his brothers—Joseph sees his brothers, and there's a reunion that happens. And so literally all of Joseph's family, they move back back to Egypt. They're living with him, and things are going great until Jacob dies. Jacob's his dad. And when that happens— the brothers are getting nervous. They're like, you know, we sold Joseph into slavery. I wonder if now is the time he's going to get back at us. So here's what he says in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So it goes on to say this. So they sent word... To Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Let's pause right here for a second. Now, one of the things that we know that's kind of been passed down by the family line is deceit. If something looks hard or something's difficult, we're gonna lie our way out of it. That, that's just kind of like how they've how they run things. And so I don't know if this was a note that they forged or Jacob actually gave him, to them, but all I know is they're feeling conflict. So it could very well be that they're kind of going back to what they know best. They're going back to deceit. They're going back to lying. We've got to find a way to get out of here because Joseph's the most powerful man in Egypt. He could literally wipe us out. So Joseph reads the rest of the letter. It says this, Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Let's all read this together. It says, Joseph wept. That's kind of an odd response. Why did Joseph weep in that moment? Now, we all know that there is a track record in this family of of not handling conflict well, of lying, of deceit, of deception, and, and all these different patterns that have been handed down. So normally you'd expect, well, Joseph can get even now. But instead he weeps. Because I think Joseph does something here that's very powerful that I think we can do in our own families that can literally redirect generations. And literally, what Joseph is doing right now is he's breaking a cycle. Look what it says here. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Let's pause here because we got to understand. This is a huge, huge deal. For generation after generation, the way this family has handled any kind of conflict, any situation of difficulty, is they would cut off and run. Jacob ran from his brother when things were tough. Uh, There was deception in Isaac and Rebekah's marriage. Same thing with Abraham. There was all these cutoffs and deceptions. But Joseph does something that's radical. He's like, my kids are not going to handle this the same way our family has done this before. I'm going to forgive and we're going to move forward. And we see this in the names that uh, Joseph gives his sons. Manasseh, which means to forget, and Ephraim, which means fruitful. Hey, I'm going to leave behind the past and move towards a fruitful future. That's the power of what Joseph just did. Because Joseph is acknowledging two very important realities when it comes to our family of origins. There's two things that we have from them, and that is we get gifts and we get gaps. Gifts and gaps. I was kind of thinking about this uh, this past week when I was thinking about my own family of origin. So both my parents, uh, they grew up in India. Uh, my mom grew up in South India in literally a really rural area. And back then, it's like there was no, you know, no electricity, uh, you know, water, you had to go walk to a well and get it. So, so that's kind of where she grew up. And my mom was probably the first person in her family, first woman to actually leave home, go to a big city, which was Mumbai, and actually, get her degree in nursing. And she said, it was challenging, Nathan. Like, there were times where my dad's like, I don't think you should do this. And he was gonna come up and, and take me out of school. But I said, nope, I'm gonna do this. Uh, I'm gonna get my degree. And, and she did it. I mean, she basically paid for it herself and she made it happen. Uh, and then she eventually, you know, moved to the United States and married my dad. But my mom has always had this adventurous spirit about her. She's always like, let's try something new. Let's try something crazy. Uh, you know, and she's always been like a hustler since as long as I can remember. Like what I mean by that is she's always had some sort of side business happening. Like she's, she's like a nurse, which is a pretty big job. But then all of a sudden she's got, hey, do you want to buy like this weird drink called Zango? It's supposed to help with your, you know, pH balance. I'm like, I'm, I'm good, mom. Thank you. <laughs> Um, don't, don't tell this to my friends, you know, so, so literally she's always got something going on, um, adventurous, entrepreneurial, and my dad, you know, he moved from India, where he was a pastor, to the United States, where he could get his PhD, he loves books, uh, he loves knowledge, he loves education, in fact, you go to his house today, he's literally got books, in bookshelves and books like stacked on his bed. It's actually kind of annoying and it's one of the habits I've picked up. So my wife's like, you need to get rid of more books. I'm going, I'm I'm trying, I'm trying. Um, But you know, when I think about the gifts from my parents, I really think the gifts was a love for learning, of academics, um, just a passion for adventure and just living life. Those are gifts I really appreciate from my parents, especially also a faith. They passed a faith that sticks uh, to me because of their kind of their walk with Jesus. But the truth is, there's gifts, but there's also gaps. And, you know, I'm very aware of my parents' gaps, especially as a dad, when I see those gaps played out in my own kids. Because I look at some of my kids, I'm like, man, why did they do that? Why would they say that? And I'm like, oh, wait, those are those are my gaps. Oh, and I, I got those from, from my parents. Literally, the gaps are being handed off. And I'm like, no. And so the thing is, When it comes to gifts and gaps, I think for many of us, we want to say, yeah, my parents, all they did was give me was gifts. The gifts are great. I I love the gifts. They're so good. And we need to celebrate the gifts we get from our parents. All of us, uh, whether you had a terrible experience with growing up or a great experience, we all receive gifts. We also all receive gaps. And I think sometimes what we can do inadvertently is, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we're not throwing our parents under the bus or blaming them for things— We almost just gloss over the gaps. But the hard part is, if we gloss over the gaps, we can't actually identify them and surrender them to Jesus so he can transform them. You know, when I think of my own parents' gaps, I mean, they did the best they could. You know, there was a lot of uncertainty in their marriage. You know, year to year, we weren't sure. Were they going to make it? Were they not going to make it? Um, There was some verbal abuse that we were kind of wrestling with and that I still wrestle with as an adult that I'm still kind of uh, struggling through. But the most honorable thing I realized I could do as a son is actually acknowledge those things so I could actually surrender them to God so he could transform them so that they wouldn't go to the next generation. So literally, I could actually reshape the direction that my descendants are going in. And maybe that's the work that God's calling you to do too. To identify both the gifts to celebrate, but also the gaps. So you can actually be the generation where the gaps end, And literally, your descendants that will come after you will have a better future because you said, we're not doing this anymore. Like Joseph, you're going to choose to weep. You're going to choose to release. You're going to choose to forgive. And literally, it will change family trajectories now and forever. So how do we do that? So I want to look at a couple ways that we see this in the story of Joseph and how we can do that, how we can actually fill the gaps, but also celebrate the gifts, so the first way we're going to look here is this. You've got to expect detours towards our divine destination. We've got to expect detours that are going to come. See, at 17, Joe's life was looking pretty good. Uh, you know, he was interpreting dreams. He was, you know, his dad's favorite kid. Everything was going great until it wasn't. You know, because of the family history that was being played out, Joseph ended up, you know, thrown, abandoned, thrown in jail, in dungeons, falsely accused. But yet, in the midst of all of that, Joseph had this uh, divine sense that God was at work in it. Look what it says in Genesis 45, verse 8. It says this, So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh. By the way, this is like a, a title, father to Pharaoh, so don't get tripped up by it. Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. So, Joseph knew, hey... Uh, this is the journey that God was going to have me on. Like, you know, one of his early dreams was he believed that, you know, his brothers would actually one day, like, come to acknowledge him and serve him. And that eventually ended up happening. It didn't happen in the way Joseph thought. Joseph experienced great suffering and great pain before he got there. But look at his takeaway from it. It was this. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, I'm sure Joseph wondered, God, couldn't you have found a better way that was less painful and less confusing and less like crazy to get me where i, I needed to go he probably could have he probably could have in many ways when we experience suffering there's a mystery to it we don't under, always understand why god allows us to go through the things he goes through sometimes we don't even see it until when we were with him in eternity but yet joseph was able to understand and even acknowledge that listen even though this is kind of like that at the worst end of our my family of origin dysfunction getting sold into slavery god you're in this somehow you're at work in this you know it reminds me um of a story i was talking with someone Who told me that, you know, Nathan, growing up, I grew up in a really, uh, not just conservative, but even beyond conservative, like, upbringing. Like, it was like really, you know, our whole emphasis growing up in church was hey, we stay away from the world completely to the point where, you know, I wasn't allowed to go to college or graduate school or anything like that. And so when I felt like God was calling me to go to college, it was a huge break for my family. They actually cut me off. They cut me off relationally, they cut me off financially. So I literally had to figure it all out on my own at 17. And it was painful, it was hard, but I believed that God was using that to form my character. And so, you know, I was going to classes, but I was also getting a job and hustling on the side so I could make things happen. And eventually, you know, I was able to graduate school, go to, you know, get my master's, and God was actually able to heal my family through that. But man, it was painful. It was hard. I don't understand why God would do that it seemed like a huge detour. Guys, when we experience detours in our lives, don't always look at them as the negative. Sometimes it's the very thing that God wants to take you through to forge your character. You know, it's easy for us to think, man, like my parents, they didn't do this for me. They didn't do that. They're the gaps that they left for me. It's hard for me to get into a relationship. But just realize this, is sometimes God has put you in those situations. He's using those things to transform you so he can prepare you for what's happening next. Don't let the, your past define your future. Trust that God is at work in the detours. But it doesn't mean that we pretend that everything is okay. Even though Joseph got to this place where he said, guys, I know it was God. It wasn't you. It took him time, which is why we need to be intentional to grieve the gaps. We're going to have gaps, and we're going to need to grieve them. Let's look at how Joseph did this. He actually models this first really well. Joseph, when he first meets his brothers in Genesis 42, Uh, it's actually a pretty emotional meeting because there's all this stuff that's going on. And before he reveals himself to his brothers, all of the emotion, all of the pain of all those years comes at him all at once. Look what it says in chapter 45, verse 2. It says this, And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So literally in that moment, all those years of pain, all those years of loss just kind of rushed on him, and he just lets it out. He doesn't hold it in, he doesn't pretend it, he wasn't hurt. He lets it all out. He lets the grief, he lets the pain come out because there's a lot that he was grieving. Even though he knew that God's hand was in the detour, you know, he's now the most powerful man in Egypt. But think about what he lost. He lost his childhood. He lost his 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 20s. He lost his family. He never saw, you know, he didn't see his dad for years and years. And he probably was like, God, where are you in this? He, he lost this, like, this sense of you know everything's going to work out fine. He, he lost an innocence. And those are things that he was grieving. Those are things that he had to release. And he didn't bury the emotions. He actually let them out. He, he, he actually let himself process them. And by that, he was experiencing transformation. You know, um, in many ways, this is kind of fresh f- for me. Because as I was kind of you know looking at this scripture, God's bringing up my own stuff, and I'm like, Lord, not right now. I don't want to deal with this. But one of the things from my family of origin, and again, this wasn't a a bad thing. It was just kind of what happened. Was my dad was a pastor with the United Methodist Church, and I know some of you guys grew up Methodist. You know that they move their pastors every four or five years. So before I was ten, I had moved about five times as a kid. At the time, I was like, oh man, it kind of stinks. But, you know, there's a gift for moving a lot. If you've moved a lot, you probably know this. One is you're super adaptable. Like you can just get dropped in any situation. You kind of make it work. Um, y- you know, I, I'm actually, I actually like change. I like it when things get changed up. I'm not afraid of it or resisting to it. But one of the things I, I think I ignored or didn't really realize was there are some significant gaps that I received from that. And now as an almost 40-year-old man, I'm processing one of them is it's really hard for me to connect or to let people in uh, at an emotional level. Like we can hang out, we can be friends, we can be in a small group. But When it comes to actually opening myself up so you can actually see me where I'm actually emotionally vulnerable, that feels risky. Because as a kid, I'd, I'd make friends, then I'd move. I'd make friends, then I'd move. Pretty soon you're like, I'm going to make friends, but we're going to stay at this level. <laughs> I don't want to let you in too much because it's gonna be, it's going to hurt a lot when— we leave and I never see you again. And what I learned is there's actually a lie that can sometimes get implanted when there's gaps that we don't recognize. The lie for me was Nathan, uh, don't let anyone in. Um, people are just going to let you down in the end. They're, they're just going to move on, or you're going to move on. Uh, they're going to fail you if everyone eventually leaves. And that was a gap. It's, it's not something that my parents intentionally wanted to do, but it was just a reality. And I think when I realized that that gap was there, I realized I got to actually take this gap and actually say, hey Jesus, what do you think about this gap? And one of the things that I needed to do that Joseph is inviting us to do is we actually need to rewrite our script with scripture. You see, that whole script of, you know, don't let anyone in, everyone's going to leave, that was a script that was handed to me. Just like, you know, if you're in theater, if someone hands you a script, you play that part. And so many of us have these, unintention- these, these scripts going through our minds that we're not even aware of, that we're just handed by our family of origin or by experiences that have happened to us. And I think of Joseph, like what were the scripts that were handed to him when he first found out his brothers had sold him into slavery, when he got thrown into a dungeon, were those scripts like this, well, well, I just deserve it because I guess I'm just a loser. That, that, that's what I deserve. Or, you know what, God just must hate me. Everything's always falling apart in my life, so, so God clearly does not love me. That's just a rumor for, or for other people. Or, or maybe he thought, I can't trust people ever again. I trusted that cupbearer and he just abandoned me. W- what do I do with that? And so as Joseph is kind of wrestling through these scripts, somehow— he's able to rewrite them. And so he pulls out a revised version of these scripts. In chapter 50, he was telling his brothers again the same things that he told them before. He said this, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He goes, your intentions was to destroy my life. I I get that, guys, and, and I think I would have believed you. But God rewrote my script, and now he intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of what? Many lives. Joseph's suffering was redeemed. Joseph's false script was rewritten, and now he knew this is why God allowed me to go through that because I was able to help Egypt and help the surrounding countries actually escape this famine. There was actually a bigger picture here than ever before. Here's something we need to be aware of that our, our family histories and our family traumas can actually hand us these negative messages and these scripts. And they can unconsciously direct our lives. They can actually shipwreck us, and, and we're not aware of it. And sometimes we find ourselves stuck because we're living out the same script over and over again. But Jesus is inviting you to rewrite your script with Scripture. To, to actually find a, a new way of saying it. But what, and first, that comes with when you identify your gaps. And I kind of already shared with you one of, one of those gaps. You know, you know, people will hurt you, don't let them close. That was one of the gaps, one of the scripts that I kind of internalized. I'll share with you two more. Anger is dangerous. Always be happy. Uh, I don't get angry. I just shove it down until it blows up somewhere else, or it comes out in passive-aggressive ways. I uh, don't make mistakes. Nathan, you can't make mistakes. You know you're Indian. You're good at math. Don't make mistakes ever. You're always. You always have to be right. And part of discipleship or growing in Jesus. Is identifying these scripts, actually putting words to them, writing them down, and then saying, Jesus, can I surrender this to you? Because clearly these are not of you. And these aren't even true. So part of my journey has been, people will hurt you, don't don't let them close, don't be emotionally vulnerable, is actually internalizing 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect through what? Weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. So I'm learning, how do I get better at sharing? Hey, I'm struggling with loneliness right now. Can we hang out? Hey, I'm really feeling kind of sad. Can you, can you pray for me? Or, you know, can we, can we get coffee? I'm trying to get better at that because I'm rewriting the false scripts with the scriptures. Uh, the other one about anger, you know, you can get angry and not sin. That, that's kind of like a new revelation for me. It's like you can be angry, but not sin. Jesus got angry, but he never sinned. That's actually one of the things I'm learning from Ephesians. And 1 Peter 5 talks about making mistakes, about having humility to learn from your mistakes. Because faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And if we're not taking faith-filled risks and making mistakes, how can we learn from those mistakes? So i got to ask you, maybe right now the Spirit of God's bringing up some of those old scripts. Maybe there's things that you, you've been living by that you weren't aware of. What are they? What, what is it that God needs to rewrite in your life, What are those scripts that he needs to rewrite with scripture? What are those things that are coming to mind that are kind of like your operating system? Those gaps. Because if we want to overcome the gaps, and here's the final one I want to talk about, it's this. We need to remember that the gospel breaks the power of the past. This is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. The gospel breaks the power of the past. Look at Joseph's response to his brothers. It says this in verse 19. Then Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, Joseph, remember when he said he wept before? He wept because he had already forgiven his brothers. He forgave them back in chapter 45. And so for five chapters, they're freaking out, because like one day this is going to end, this is going to end. But Joseph could only do that not by his own strength, but by the power of God. If we want to break the power of the past, we realize we can't break it ourselves, okay? We can't, you know, educate ourselves out of the past. We actually need a power greater than ourselves that can come down and smash the power of the past, that can smash the false scripts, so that we can live the life that God has made us to live. And the only way to do that is we actually need to invite Jesus into our gaps, amen? We need to recognize the gaps and say, Jesus, will you fill my gap? I can't fill it myself. Otherwise, what we do is we medicate the gaps. We medicate it with food. We medicate it with, um, you know, whatever it may be. And then eventually that breaks down. We need to invite Jesus into our gaps. But it involves us actually owning what those gaps are. And this is one of the things that the gospel teaches us, is that confession precedes repentance. We need to actually confess our sins and acknowledge them so that Jesus can say, all right, I can forgive this. I can remove this. I can transform this. That's why we talked about get gifts and gaps. And again, I don't know all your stories. I know for some of you, you've experienced some intense abuse. And so you're like, Nathan, I have no gifts for my parents except maybe the gift of life. And you can celebrate that. That through your parents, God brought you here, and we praise God for that. But some of you may be thinking, well, Nathan, it's all gifts. It's all been good. But you see, if we don't acknowledge the gaps, those gaps get repeated to the generations that come after. I really believe that for some of you today, God wants to rewrite not just your story, but the story of your descendants. Not just your kids, but your grandkids, your great-grandkids. Because you're going to say, all right, God, I want you to transform me from the inside out. I want to experience true transformation through the gospel. So on the one hand, the gospel cancels the power of sin in our lives. We have forgiveness. We have relationship with Christ. But there's a part in there where we actually need to own that transformation. We actually need to to actually work with Jesus as he invites us to surrender more and more of the areas of our lives to him. I invite the worship band to come back up. Because in Jesus's family, he, he doesn't want you to just be spiritually mature, which Maybe for some of us can mean, okay, I I memorize these scriptures. I I believe intellectually in these doctrines. um, And I'm doing all this church activity. But he wants to go deeper. He wants to transform your anger into something that can bring righteousness. He wants to help you come out of sadness and depression so that you can know greater trust in him. He wants you to actually live more authentically. Because when you live in that authentic place of freedom— You can know that you're loved by God because you don't have to perform. You just need to be. So that's what it means to come into the family of Jesus. And maybe you're here today. And you recognize that you have an impact from your family of origin. And maybe your first step today is, I just need to surrender it to Jesus. Because I'll be the first to admit, it will be a lifetime. (laughs) Of identifying those gaps and surrendering them to Christ. So maybe for you today, that's your first step, is to acknowledge those gaps. But maybe for some of you, you've been trying to fix it on your own, but you need that greater power. And maybe you've never invited Jesus to come into your life to come and transform you from the inside out. Because we really need His power to really redirect our futures. And so, if that's you today, I want to actually invite you to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you already have one, and that's awesome. And one of the things that you notice during this series, I have all of us repeating the gospel because the gospel that saves us also is the one that sustains us. It's good for us to remember what Jesus did for us and is still doing for us. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray this together? I just want to ask you to repeat these words after me. Maybe you're saying this for the first time, and if so, praise God. Or maybe for you, you just need to remember. One of the constant themes in Scripture is to remember, remember, remember. And it's so easy for us to forget what Jesus has done for us and the gospel's power to break the past so it no longer defines the future. So just pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm under the power of sin. My family's been under the power of sin. I choose today to believe that you break the power of the past. Forgive my sins. Break those broken patterns. And help me put on the life of Christ. God, I want to commit myself to your ways. But for my life, You'll continue to teach me to put off old ways, old patterns, and put on the way of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just welcome new brothers and sisters in the faith who prayed that prayer for the first time? Welcome, guys. Welcome. We'd love to get to know you and help you kind of on your journey. We'd love to give you a Bible. Um, We'll talk more about that at the end, but uh, let's just stand right now and worship.